Hi, my name is Marie Olson, and thanks so much for joining me for That Simple Clean Life. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of That Simple Clean Life. Today, we're going to be talking about the shelf life of essential oils. One of the most common questions I get from people new to essential oils especially is, do essential oils go bad? And the answer is yes. And this does not depend on the manufacturer. This depends on the type of oil. For example, the citrus oils like lemon or grapefruit, orange, lime, because they tend to have a higher chemical component called monoterpenes in them, they tend to go bad faster than more stable essential oils. So for example, if you're storing citrus essential oils in ideal conditions, the shelf life can be up to two years. If they're not being stored in ideal conditions, meaning cold, dark, cool location, then they're going to be closer to one year. So that's why it's so important that you're storing your oils properly, which means that you're keeping them tightly capped when they're not in use. You're only opening them enough to dispense the amount you need, and then you're immediately closing them again. You're storing them somewhere cool and dark. You don't want to store them in the humid environment of your bathroom, for example, or on the dashboard of your car where it gets really warm, you wanna make sure that you're protecting them from the things that cause them to break down faster, namely heat, light, and oxygen. The citrus oils tend to have the shortest shelf life. Some of the other more stable oils can be longer. So for example, some oils have a shelf life of three to five years. Some can even be longer. Patchouli, for example, is one of those oils that tends to get better with age, and it can be as old as 20 years old and still be perfectly fine. So what are some of the detriments of having an expired oil or an old oil? So these can cause sensitivity to your skin if they're applied topically because they do tend to oxidize, which just means it's the oxygen breaking down the components of the essential oil. So if you're making these in a blend, for example, and then applying them to your skin, it can cause skin sensitivity. It may even cause allergies in the case of some oils that are oxidized. The best way to protect yourself from having this happen is knowing when you're purchasing the oils when they were produced. So for example, if you go to the store and buy an essential oil off the shelf, which I don't recommend. You have no idea where that oil's from. You have no idea when it was produced. And frankly, you don't even know if that's what the oil contains. Adulteration is very common in the essential oil industry. So I always encourage people to buy from quality, reputable sources, preferably sources that will provide a JCMS report to you and that tell you when the oil was produced or distilled. So I have a few of my favorites listed in the show notes, and you can definitely check those out. Many of them offer a discount code for first-time purchasers. So if you're looking to swap to a different brand of oils, there's a whole list of the ones that I like in the show notes. Now, I did mention GCMS, and so I would like to explain that for those of you that that term is new for. So GCMS stands for Gas Chromatography 
mass spectrometry. And basically what that is, it's a type of report that tells you what makes up that essential oil. So I've mentioned in previous shows that all things are made from chemicals. There is no such thing as chemical free. We as humans are made of chemicals. Water is made of chemicals. Chemicals in and of themselves are not bad, but there are some chemicals that are worse for us than others. And those are typically known as toxic chemicals. However, when I'm talking about the chemical makeup of essential oils, I'm talking about all of the components that make that essential oil what it is and tell you exactly how it's going to work when using it. In the instance of a GCMS report, the way I like to explain it is it's kind of like a recipe. So imagine that you're making blueberry muffins and say the blueberry muffins need milk, sugar, eggs, and flour. That is the gas chromatography portion of the recipe. The quantities of those ingredients are the mass spectrometry portion of the recipe. So say you need a cup of milk, two cups of flour, half a cup of sugar, and half a cup of blueberries. That's the mass spectrometry portion of the report. So when you look at a GCMS report, it's going to tell you which chemical constituents make up that product and the quantities of each that it contains. So in the case of lavender essential oil, for example, lavender tends to be high in a chemical constituent called linalool. And linalool is the ingredient or the component of lavender essential oil that tends to make it very calming and sedative and very relaxing. And so that is why whenever you compare different GCMS reports with different types of lavender, say you always use lavender and gustifolia across the board, all of the chemical constituents should be within a certain range, even across brands, if that essential oil is in fact lavandula and gustifolia. Linalool is the chemical in the chemical family monoterpenol, and it does tend to be higher in lavender essential oil. So it's usually in the 20% range or so. Now, a fantastic book, if you have never looked into this, is The Essential Oil Safety Book by Robert Tisserand and Rodney Young. And this was kind of my go-to reference book as I was going through my essential oil training program. And I absolutely love this book because it basically breaks down every kind of essential oil that you would want to use and what to look for in your essential oils to make sure that it's doing what it says it's going to do. So as I'm talking, I pulled it off my shelf and I'm looking up lavender essential oil for you. So the benefit of this podcast is that those of you that don't have a plethora of essential oil resources don't have to worry because I have lots. So let me just find lavender in here and we will see what it says. All right. So for common lavender, also known as English lavender, which is the botanical name Lavandula angustifolia, or it may be known as Lavandula officinalis, it comes from the Labatier or the Lamiaceae family. And typically one of the key constituents of it is linalool acetate and linalool. And those make up the predominant constituents of lavender essential oil. 
So when you're looking at GCMS reports online, if you find an essential oil that, for example, is higher in other constituents apart from those, that may be a red flag that perhaps it's been enhanced with something else. And so that may be something that you don't want to purchase. Now, this is a common reason why when purchasing essential oils over the counter at, say, your local discount shop or even the gas station close to your house is not the greatest idea. Because first of all, many of those don't even tell you what's in them. So you don't know if it is, in fact, even an essential oil, much less an essential oil that's been cut with something else. So one of the most common ways that people can impact essential oil is it may not just be pure essential oil that's in the bottle. It may be cut with a carrier oil. Because everyone should be diluting their essential oil to use it, that's actually not a bad thing. What makes it bad is if you don't know what the carrier oil that they're using is. So for example, if they put it in almond oil and you're severely allergic to almonds and it's not notated on the bottle, that could cause a serious reaction for somebody that has a nut allergy. So you always wanna make sure that all the ingredients are listed on the bottle. And ideally you wanna know the batch number and where and when it was produced. So those are the typical things that I look for when I'm looking at essential oils. I tend to be drawn more to organic or wildcrafted essential oils, which just means that they were grown without any kind of pesticides or any kind of chemical insect repellents, or they were grown in the wild. So wildcrafted just means that they were grown in nature and that they were harvested in that way whereas organic has more stringent guidelines. So I hope that this has been helpful in giving you a brief overview of what to look for when purchasing essential oils and how long an essential oil lasts. One common question that I get is what to do with essential oils that are expired. So I think that even though an essential oil is expired, it doesn't mean that you can't use it at all. It just means you probably wouldn't wanna use it on yourself but they are a great addition in natural cleaning products. You don't have to worry about skin oxidation if you're spraying it on a counter to clean your counters. It's still gonna have many of those beneficial properties that are gonna be germ fighting and air cleaning. You just wouldn't wanna use it on yourself. So for expired essential oils that you might have on hand, or if you're not sure how old they are because it's not something you've tracked in the past, those will make great additions to your natural cleaning cabinet. Feel free to make some air fresheners or perhaps a bath scrub. Make sure that you wear gloves when you're scrubbing your tub. You wouldn't wanna put it in a cleaning product and then not use protection on your skin. And then we'll be talking in the future about other ways that you can use essential oils and ways that you can be creative in utilizing your essential oil collection. So one of the things that a lot of people I know do is they get really excited about essential oils and they buy a whole bunch of them and then they're not really sure how to use them. So they end up sitting in a cabinet collecting dust. And so one of my goals with this podcast is to get you using those essential oils because they are so beneficial and there's so many wonderful benefits so make sure that you're reading up on the essential oils 
that you're curious about and finding ways to use those in your home. So again, a great source for finding all of this information is the Aromatics International website. You can search by essential oil name, either the Latin name or the common name. And there's so much information about essential oils on their website. They talk about suggested uses, product properties, countries of origin. And one of the things that they list for every essential oil is a typical shelf life. So keep in mind that those shelf lives that are listed are listed for essential oils stored in ideal conditions. If your oils have not been stored in ideal conditions, the shelf life will be less. Um, so if there's a range of years on there, for example, one to two years, yours will probably be closer to the one year mark. Whereas if you have purchased your essential oils and stored them properly, they will be closer to the two-year mark. And keep in mind, this is from the date that they were produced, not the date that they were opened. So if you bought an essential oil three years ago and you've never actually opened it and it has a shelf life of five years and you open it today, there's going to be about two years of usable shelf life left on that essential oil. Another thing to keep in mind when you're using essential oils to blend is whatever the shelf life of the lowest item is becomes the shelf life of the blend. So say that you're making an essential oil blend that's in jojoba, which jojoba tends to have a long shelf life as a carrier. So that has about a 20-year shelf life. And say you also have something like lavender in there that has a six-year shelf life, but you add orange to it. Orange has a one to two-year shelf life. So even though the lavender is six years and the jojoba is 20 years, the shelf life of that blend is only going to be one to two years based on how old your orange essential oil is. So I hope that this has been helpful, and I look forward to teaching you more about essential oils so make sure that you join me for next week's episode, where I'll be talking all about hydrosols. Have you ever tried a hydrosol? If so, what's your favorite and what's your favorite way to use it? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you'll definitely want to tune in next week to learn more. My goal with this podcast is to provide short, easy to digest snippets of essential oil education, as well as share information about ditching and switching from a more toxic option to a less toxic option. I plan to have one new episode every week, usually on Wednesdays, so join me for a midweek minute and break from your day to learn about ways to relax and unwind with essential oils and other things to help you with that simple clean life. Thanks for joining me and have a great day.